Between the essential reads and the English essentials, I spend a lot of time writing scripts. Now, I could do this from home, but it's a lot nicer to get out of the house and work in a coffee shop or a cafe. I could use my phone data to check articles and research for my scripts, but that can get expensive fast. It's so much easier to use the Wi-Fi at my favourite coffee shops. Well, thanks to Surfshark VPN, I don't have to worry about public Wi-Fi networks stealing my data. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and continue working without having to worry about anyone stealing my data. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 a month on a two-year plan, and work worry-free wherever you please. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, Use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Who is it? Montag out here. What do you want? Let me in. I haven't done anything. I'm alone, damn it. You swear it? I swear. The front door opened, slowly. Faber peered out, looking very old in the light, and very fragile, and very much afraid. The old man looked as if he had not been out of the house in years. He and the white plaster walls inside were very much the same. There was white in the flesh of his mouth, and his cheeks and his hair was white, and his eyes had faded with white in the vague blueness there. And then his eyes touched on the book under Montag's arm, and he did not look so old any more, and not quite as fragile. Slowly, his fear went. I'm sorry. One has to be careful. He looked at the book under Montag's arm and could not stop. So, it's true. Montag stepped inside. The door shut. Sit down. Faber backed up as if he feared the book might vanish if he took his eyes from it. Behind him, the door to a bedroom stood open, and in that room, a litter of machinery and steel tools was strewn upon a desktop. Montag had only a glimpse before Faber, seeing Montag's attention diverted, turned quickly and shut the bedroom door and stood holding the knob with a trembling hand. His gaze returned unsteadily to Montag, who was now seated with the book in his lap. The book? Where where did you... I stole it. Faber, for the first time, raised his eyes and looked directly into Montag's face. You're brave. No, said Montag. My wife's dying. A friend of mine's already dead. 
Someone who may have been a friend was burnt less than 24 hours ago. You're the only one I knew who might help me. To see... Faber's hands itched on his knees. May I? Sorry. Montag gave him the book. It's been a long time. I'm not a religious man, but it's been a long time. Faber turned the pages, stopping here and there to read. It's as good as I remember. Lord, how they've changed it in our parlours these days. Christ is one of the family now. I wonder if God recognises his own son the way we've dressed him up. Or is it dressed him down? He's a regular peppermint stick now, all sugar crystal and saccharine when he isn't making veiled references to certain commercial products that every worshipper absolutely needs. Faber sniffed the book. Do you know the books smell like nutmeg or some spice from a foreign land? I loved to smell them when I was a boy. Lord, there were... There were a lot of lovely books once, before we let them go. Faber turned the pages. Mr. Montag, you were looking at a coward. I saw the way things were going a long time back, and I said nothing. I'm one of the innocents who could have spoken up and out when no one would listen to the guilty. But I did not speak, and thus became guilty myself. And when, finally, they set structure to burn the books, using the firemen, I grunted a few times and subsided, for there were no others grunting or yelling with me by then. Now it's too late. Faber closed the Bible. Well, suppose you tell me why you came here. Nobody listens anymore. I can't talk to the walls because they're all yelling at me. I can't talk to my wife. She listen to the walls. I just want someone to hear what I have to say, and maybe if I talk long enough, it'll make sense. I want you to teach me to understand what I read. Faber examined Montag's thin, blue-jowled face. How did you get shaken up? What knocked the torch out of your hands? I don't know. We have everything we need to be happy, but we aren't happy. Something's missing. I looked around. The only thing I positively knew was gone was the books I'd burned in ten or twelve years. So I thought books might help. You're a hopeless romantic, said Faber. It would be funny if it... We're not serious. It's not books you need. It's some of the things that once were in books. The same things could be in the parlor families today. The same infinite detail and awareness could be projected through the radios and televisors, but are not. No, no, it's not the books you're looking for. Take it where you can find it in old phonograph records old motion pictures, and in old friends. Look for it in nature, and look for it in yourself. Books were only one type of replicable where we sorted a lot of things we were afraid we might forget. There is nothing magical in them at all. The magic is only in what books say, 
and how they stitched the patches of the universe together in one garment for us. Of course, you couldn't know this. Of course, you still can't understand what I mean when I say all this. You are intuitively right. That's what counts. Three things are missing. Number one, do you know why books as this are so important? Because they have quality. And what does the word quality mean? To me, it means texture. This book has pores. It has features. This book can go under the microscope. You'd find life under the glass, streaming past infinite profusion. The more pores, the more truthfully recorded detail of life per square inch that you can get on a sheet of paper, the more literary you are. That's my definition, anyway. Telling detail. Fresh detail. The good writers touch life often. The mediocre ones run a quick hand over her. The bad ones rape her and leave her for the flies. So, now do you see why books are hated and feared? They show the pores in the face of life. The comfortable people want only wax moon faces, poreless, hairless, expressionless. We're living in a time when flowers are trying to live on flowers instead of growing on good rain and black loam. Even fireworks, for all their prettiness, come from the chemistry of the earth. Yet somehow we think we can grow feeding on flowers and fireworks without completing the cycle back to reality. Do you know the legend of Hercules and Anatus, the giant wrestler, whose strength was incredible so long as he stood firmly on the earth? But when he was held, rootless in mid-air by Hercules, he perished easily. If there isn't something in that legend for us today, in this city, in our time, then I'm completely insane. Well, there we have the first thing I said we needed. Quality. Texture of information. And the second? Leisure. Oh, but we have plenty of off hours. Off hours, yes. But time to think? If you're not driving a hundred miles an hour, at a clip where you can't think of anything else but the danger, then you're playing some game, or sitting in some room where you can't argue with the four-wall televisor. Why, the televisor is real. It is immediate. It has dimension. It tells you what to think and blasts in. It must be right. It seems so right. It rushes on you so quickly to its own conclusions your mind hasn't time to protest. What nonsense! Only the family is people. I beg your pardon? My wife says books aren't real. Thank God for that. You can shut them. Say, hold on a moment. You play God to it. But who has ever torn himself from the claw that encloses you when you drop a seed in the TV parlor? It grows you any shape it wishes. It is an environment as real as the world. It becomes and is the truth. Books can be beaten down with reason. But with all my knowledge and skepticism, I have never been able to argue with a 100-piece symphony orchestra, full color, three dimensions, and being in and part of those incredible parlors. As you see, my parlor is nothing but four plaster walls. And here, 
he held out two small rubber plugs. For my ears, when I ride the subway jets. Denim's dentrifice. They toil not, neither do they spin, said Montag, eyes shut. Where do we go from here? Would books help us? Only if the third necessary thing could be given us. Number one, as I said, quality of information. Number two, leisure to digest it. And number three, the right to carry out actions based on what we learn from the interaction of the first two. And I hardly think a very old man and a fireman turned sour could do so much this late in the game. I can get books. You're running a risk. That's the good part of dying when you've nothing to lose. You run any risk you want. There, you've said an interesting thing, laughed Faber, without having read it. Are things like that in books? But it came off the top of my mind. Oh, the better. You didn't fancy it up for me, or anyone. Even yourself. Montag leaned forward. This afternoon, I thought that if it turned out the books were worthwhile, we might get a press and print some extra copies. We? You and I. Oh, no. Faber sat up. But let me tell you my plan. If you insist on telling me, I must ask you to leave. But aren't you interested? Not if you start talking the sort of talk that might get me burnt for my trouble. The only way I could possibly listen to you would be if somehow the fireman structure itself could be burnt. Now if you suggest we print extra books and arrange to have them hidden in firemen's houses all over the country so that seeds of suspicion would be sown among these arsonists, bravo, I'd say. Plant the books? Turn in an alarm and see the firemen's houses burn? Is that what you mean? Faber raised his brows and looked at Montag as if he were seeing a new man. I was joking. If you thought it would be a plan worth trying, I'd have to take your word that it would help. You can't guarantee things like that. After all, when we had all the books we needed, we still insisted on finding the highest cliff to jump off. We do need a breather. We do need knowledge. Perhaps in a thousand years we might pick up smaller cliffs to jump off. The books are to remind us what asses and fools we are. They're Caesar's Praetorian Guard, whispering as the parade roars down the avenue. Remember, Caesar, thou art mortal. Most of us can't rush around, talk to everyone, know all the cities of the world. We haven't time, money, or that many friends. The things you're looking for, Montag, are in the world. But the only way the average chap will ever see 99% of them is in a book. Don't ask for guarantees. Don't look to be saved in any one thing, person, machine, or library. Do your own bit of saving. And, if you drown, at least die knowing you were headed for shore. Faber got up and began to pace the room. Well, asked Montag, you're absolutely serious. Absolutely. It's an insidious plan, if I do say so myself. Faber glanced nervously at his bedroom door. To 
see the firehouses burn across the land, destroyed as hotbeds of treason. The salamander devours its tail. Oh, God. I've a list of firemen's residences everywhere, with some sort of underground. Can't trust people. That's the dirty part. You and I, who else was set the fires? Aren't there professors like yourself? Former writers, historians, linguists, dead or ancient? The older the better. They'll go unnoticed. You know dozens, admit it. Oh, there are many actors alone who haven't acted Priandello or Shaw or Shakespeare for years because their plays are too aware of the world. We could use their anger. And we could use the honest rage of those historians who haven't written a line for forty years. True, we might form classes in thinking and reading. Yes. But that would just nibble the edges. The whole culture shut through. The skeleton needs melting and reshaping. Good God, it isn't as simple as just picking up a book you laid down half a century ago. Remember, the firemen are rarely necessary. The public itself stopped reading of its own accord. You firemen provide a circus now and then at which buildings are set off and crowds gather for a pretty blaze, but it's a small sideshow indeed. And hardly necessary to keep things in line. So few want to be rebels anymore. And out of those few, most, like myself, scare easily. Can you dance faster than the white clown, shout louder than Mr. Gimmick at the parlor families? If you can, you'll win your way, Montag. In any event, you're a fool. People are having fun. Committing suicide? Murdering? A bomber fight had been moving east all the time they talked, and only now did the two men stop and listen, feeling the great jet sound tremble inside themselves. Patience, Montag. Let the war turn off the families. Our civilization is flinging itself to pieces. Stand back from the centrifuge. There has to be someone ready when it blows up. What? Men quoting Milton? Saying I remember Sophocles? Reminding the survivors that man has its good side, too. They will only gather up their stones to hurl at each other. Montag, go home. Go to bed. Why waste your final hours racing about your cage, denying you're a squirrel? Then you don't care much anymore. I care so much I'm sick. And you won't help me. Good night. Montag's hands picked up the Bible. He saw what his hands had done, and he looked surprised. Would you like to own this? Faber said, I'd give my right arm. Montag stood there and waited for the next thing to happen. His hands, by themselves, like two men working together, began to rip the pages from the book. The hands tore the flyleaf, and then the first and the second page. Idiot! What are you doing? Faber sprang up as if he had been struck. He fell against Montag. Montag warded him off and let his hands continue. Six more pages fell to the floor. He picked them up 
and wadded the paper under Faber's gaze. Don't, oh, don't, said the old man. Who can stop me? I'm a fireman. I can burn you. The old man stood looking at him. You wouldn't. I could. The book. Don't tear it any more. Faber sank into a chair, his face very white, his mouth trembling. Don't make me feel any more tired. What do you want? I need you to teach me. All right. Montag put the book down. He began to unwad the crumpled paper and flatten it out as the old man watched tiredly. Faber shook his head as if he were waking up. Montag, have you any money? Some. Four, five hundred dollars. Why? Bring it. I know a man who printed our college paper half a century ago. That was the year I came to class at the start of the semester and, and found only one student to sign up for Drama of a Shyless to O'Neill. You see? How like a beautiful statue of ice it was, melting in the sun. I remember the newspapers dying like huge moths. No one wanted them back. No one missed them. And then the government, seeing how advantageous it was to have people reading only about passionate lips and a fist in the stomach, circled the situation with your fire readers. So, Montag, there's this unemployed printer. You might start a few books and, and wait on the war to break the pattern and give us the push we need. A few bombs and the families in the walls of all the houses, like Harlequin rats, will shut up. In the silence, our stage whisper might carry. I've tried to remember, said Montag. Hell, it's gone when I turn my head. God, how I want to say something to the captain. He's red enough, so he has all the answers, or seems to have. His voice is like butter. I'm afraid he'll talk me back the way I was. Only a week ago, pumping a kerosene hose, I thought, God, what fun. The old man nodded. Those who don't build must burn. Is his oldest history in juvenile delinquents. So that's what I am. There's some of it in all of us. Montag moved towards the front door. Can you help me in any way tonight with the fire captain? I need an umbrella to keep off the rain. I'm so afraid I'll drown if he gets me again. The old man said nothing, but glanced once more nervously at his bedroom. Montag caught the glance. Well? The old man took a deep breath, held it, and let it out. He took another, eyes closed, his mouth tight. The old man turned at last and said, Come on. I would actually have let you walk right out of my house. I am a cowardly old fool. Faber opened the bedroom door and led Montag into a small chamber where stood a table upon which a number of metal tools lay among a welter of microscopic wire hairs, tiny coils, bobbins, and crystals. What's this? asked Montag. Proof of my terrible cowardice. I've lived alone so many years, throwing images on walls with my imagination. 
fiddling with electronics, radio transmission has been my hobby. My cowardice is of such a passion, complementing the revolutionary spirit that lives in its shadow, I was forced to design this. He picked up a small green metal object, no larger than a twenty-two caliber bullet. I paid for all this. How? Playing the stock market, of course. The last refuge in the world for the dangerous intellectual out of a job. Well, I played the market, and built all this, and I've waited, trembling, half a lifetime for someone to speak to me. I dared speak to no one. That day in the park, when we sat together, I knew that some day you might drop by, with fire or friendship. It was hard to guess. I've had this little item ready for months. But I almost let you go. I'm that afraid. It looks like a seashell radio. And something more. It listens. If you put it in your ear, Montag, I can sit comfortably home, warming my frightened bones, and hear and analyze the fireman's world, find its weaknesses without danger. I'm the queen bee, safe in the hive. You will be the drone, the traveling ear. Eventually, I could put out ears in all parts of the city, with various men, listening and evaluating. If the drones die, I'm safe at home, tending my fright with a maximum of comfort and a minimum of chance. See how safe I play it? How contemptible I am. Montag placed the green bullet in his ear. The old man inserted a similar object in his own ear and moved his lips. Montag? The voice was in Montag's head. I hear you! The old man laughed. You're coming over fine too. Faber whispered, but the voice in Montag's head was clear. Go to the firehouse when it's time. I'll be with you. Let's listen to this Captain Beatty together. He could be one of us. God knows. I'll give you things to say. We'll give him a good show. Do you hate me for this electronic cowardice of mine? Here I am, sending you out into the night, while I stay behind the lines with my damned ears listening for you to get your head chopped off. We all do what we do, said Montag. He put the Bible in the old man's hands. Here, I'll chance turning in a substitute. Tomorrow, I'll see the unemployed printer. Yes, that much I can do. Good night, Professor. Not good night. I'll be with you the rest of the night. A vinegar gnat tickling your ear when you need me. But good night and good luck, anyway. The door opened and shut. Montag was in the dark street again, looking at the world. You could feel the war getting ready in the sky that night. The way the clouds moved aside and came back, and the way the stars looked, a million of them, swimming between the clouds, like the enemy disks, and the feeling that the sky might fall upon the city and turn it to chalk dust, and the moon go up in red fire. That was how the night felt. Montag walked from the subway with the money in his pocket. He had visited a bank which was open all night, every night, with robot tellers in attendance. 
and as he walked, he was listening to the seashell radio in one ear. We have mobilized a million men. Quick victory is ours if the war comes. Music flooded over the voice quickly, and it was gone. Ten million men mobilized, Faber's voice whispered in the other ear. But say one million. It's happier. Faber? Yes? I'm not thinking. I'm just doing like I'm told, like always. You said get the money, and I got it. I didn't really think of it myself. When do I start working things out on my own? You've started already by saying what you just said. You'll have to take me on faith. I took the others on faith. Yes. And look where we're headed. You'll have to travel blind for a while. Here's my arm to hold on to. I... I don't want to change sides and just be told what to do. There's no reason to change if I do that. You're wise already. Montag felt his feet moving him on the sidewalk towards his house. Keep... keep talking. Would you like me to read? I'll read, so you can remember. I go to bed only five hours a night. Nothing to do. So, if you like, I'll read you to sleep nights. They say you retain knowledge even when you're sleeping. Someone whispers it in your ear. Yes. Here. Far away across town, in the night, the faintest whisper of a turned page. The Book of Jab. The moon rose in the sky as Montag walked, his lips moving just a trifle. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.